Can I have actors to places? Stand by for curtain call. Go. Stand by for house lights. Good. That's a wrap. Good show, everybody. Welcome to Echo Offstage, Theater Women Speak. Echo Theater Dallas has been amplifying women's voices on stage since 1998. Now we invite you offstage, behind the curtain, for an intimate conversation with theater's most influential and innovative women. Welcome back. I'm talking with the delightful and talented Regina Taylor. We have been having such a wonderful conversation, and I want to change the focus a little bit now, if you will, to your work as a playwright. In addition to being an actor, you have, as you mentioned early, your first love was writing. So I want to talk a little bit about that gift your mother gave you to be able to express yourself with the written word and how you went from that to writing plays. Yes, I started out as a journalism major at SMU. When I started acting, I started taking classes to write plays. And so the focus started being on my uh, being a playwright from from, uh, that moment forward. After I graduated, going to New York City, the acting took off before the writing did. Started handing out my plays to, to various people, seeing what they thought and seeing if they might be interested in doing readings, first readings. Again, the public theater played uh, a part in in one of my first workshops, readings, workshops, to my first production at the Humana Festival. It was uh, a play called Watermelon Rhymes, was that first piece there, to being introduced to the Goodman Theater and becoming an artistic associate there for over 25 years, their most uh, produced playwright there at that very distinguished uh, theater in Chicago, to having pieces done around the world. One great gift was from Emily Mann at the McCartan Theater in New Jersey, and that was crowned a gospel musical about African-American women in their Sunday hats. Emily Mann is, is a amazing visionary writer, director, and um, the artist director of, of McCarter Theater for years. And so I admired her a great deal. We started having conversations. This book came to her from the guys who did the, the pictures and interviewed these women inside this coffee table book called Crowns. Uh, so she sent me this book as it had been gifted to her because they uh, knew her from having, from adapting the book, having her say, and directing that on Broadway. When she saw Crowns, she said, I immediately thought of you. Uh, she sent that book to me, and I was at my mom's house in Dallas, Texas. And I opened up this book and I said, Oh, wow, I know all of these women. I've never met them before, but all of these beautiful women, and they're stunning. These remind me of, you know, they're from Darlington. South Carolina, that uh, I I know these women from the women that helped raise me in Dallas, Texas. These hat queens, hat queen means that you own at least a hundred hats. Some are store bought hats, but some are specially made for that 
person. So I'm looking at these books, I'm sharing it with my mom, and we're both enjoying the book so much. And that day walks me through her closet. Now, my mother was not a hat queen because she didn't own a hundred hats, but she owned a lot of hats. So she takes me through her closet and uh, tells me the story of each of her hats. Each hat has a story of a wedding, uh, funeral, uh, baptism, these markers and why. And it, it took all day because as we went through these, these stories were layered inside these, these moments in her life that revealed so much to me about her, things I never knew. But she was telling me her life story through telling me these layers of memories cupped under the brim. So I went, oh, oh, I think that's what this, this can be in adapting this coffee table book. Uh, that's the message, how we pass down this legacy. And so I adapted the piece, did it first at Emily Mann's theater, McCarter Theater. It transferred to New York City at Second Stage Theater and became an immediate hit. It then traveled around the country and continues to travel around the country. Yeah, it, it was a really wonderful experience. I hadn't thought about hats. I hadn't thought about the history, the legacy, uh, the tradition of wearing hats to church. I, I only own, I think, maybe one hat or two hats at that time. One is skull cap, uh, keep my head warm, maybe a baseball cap. It really challenged me to, to take a dive into that history, that tradition that uh, was brought over across the ocean, adorning oneself for worship that survived slavery. And then afterwards, when a woman had enough uh, money to buy matching shoes, uh, a bag to, to pull together that ensemble, or when you stroll inside that church, and no matter who you are, you are very special indeed. My first hat uh, I bought was for the opening of crowns, that first. And we had invited the ladies in the book to, to come and see that show. And the women all had on glorious hats watching the show and talking about, oh, yes, I'm, I'm page number 32. Oh, yes, I'm page number 28. Yes. And they, they were enjoying the show uh, and, and loving um, how they were being celebrated in, in crowns. That same hat I bought for that opening was also the hat I wore to my mother's funeral. And so that, uh, that became the layering, uh, the layering of stories that began with that first hat. I love that show. Mm -hmm. And I think, and you brought it up by talking about the layers. One of my favorite lines was something like I had on a stocking cap and I had on a wig and I had on a hat and them's a lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, paraphrasing, yeah. but but there are a lot of layers to the experience that you're describing. And I think that's one of the reasons for me that the play just lives in my soul is that you see women that you know, you see history that you've either lived or heard about, and it feels like that hat then becomes a thing of legacy. Yes. If that hat gets passed on from grandma to mama 
to the daughter, to the, the, the granddaughter. It becomes a thing of legacy and it becomes very precious at that point. So in, in writing Watermelon Rhymes, some of the other shows, and we definitely want to talk about them, uh, and in writing Crowns, how much influence on your writing does your acting have and vice versa? How much impact on your uh, acting does your writing have? Yes, I think they all speak to each other. I, I think whether I'm writing or directing or acting, they all speak to each other. I enjoy directing because I, I love that communication between a director and an and actor. And I, I understand the process of actors because I'm an actress. Or in writing, too, I trust actors in filling in, flushing out what's in between the lines. And I, I can imagine as, as you are writing something, and I don't know if you have a person or an actor in mind at the time, but do you have a voice in mind? Do you hear a, a voice as you're writing dialogue or how does that come to you? Well, yes, I do hear various, various beings do visit me <laughs> and you try and capture their voices, setting them down on paper. Yes. You're currently a writer in residence at Signature Theater in New York. Tell us a little bit about what that position is and, and how you got there and how that informs your work. I, I have different positions at different, at different theaters along the way. Being a resident writer then means that you spend a certain amount of time with this theater creating work, creating community engagements, and sharing the work with communities, either uh, locally or, or nationally or, or internationally. I, I love uh, being able to be in a spot. Currently, I am the Mellon uh, playwright in residence with the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. Uh, Hannah Sharif is the artistic director there. I've been the artistic associate with the uh, Goodman Theater in Chicago. I spent some time at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, to do that research, to talk to the people, and seeing how you might shape a story out of those stories, out of that history. Uh, I think it's really challenging, and I enjoy it very much. And I also always try and have a community tie engagement to work inside of a community, whether that's working with other writers then. Uh, maybe I'm working on a play and I take themes of that play and share that theme with other writers, for them to write their own pieces. And we all share that work as a community would be an example, whether that's working with older people, professionals, to working with uh, students. I love hearing about the effort that you make to support other young writers. I, it, that, that opportunity for, for them and then the work that comes out of that is, it's gotta be enriching for every community that, that you've dealt with. And I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned the Goodman because I went to college with Henry Godinez, who is still to this day a dear friend of mine. <laughs> So I want to ask you, in, in, in working in the way that you have as a writer in supporting emerging writers, young writers, new writers, people that don't know they're writers, but, you know, that they're, they're interested, what do you think theaters can do to be more supportive of, of providing that kind of a foundation or, or a, a fountain for creativity for 
for people who are interested in doing what you do? I think a lot of theaters uh, have invested in education, outreach departments, individuals who then do classes, do festivals for beginning playwrights. A lot of theaters are open to reading unsolicited manuscripts, putting together some readings that they their work has caught their eye. I think you have to always invest in in new voices, encourage support, help shape, move them forward. That is that is the heart and soul and future of American theater. Other than your mom encouraging that first writing of children's books, do you have anyone you consider a mentor as a playwright? As a playwright, yes. Uh, I would say one person is Adrian Kennedy, amazing writer of Funny House of a Negro, The Owl Answers, Ohio State Murders. Very avant-garde, fearless, brave, ahead of her time. As well as Nsuzake Schenker. I I had uh, a great deal of support and encouragement. And, And I think she was one of the first playwrights that really spoke to me and feeling that she was speaking to me, she was speaking my soul uh, in a way that was absolutely personal. And then to to have her friendships was, was greatly valued. Oh, I, I have to absolutely agree. The first time that I encountered For Colored Girls, I read it. And it is not the same thing as experiencing it on a stage and watching these beautiful women in these beautiful colors bringing bringing her her words to life. So, yes, we're on the same page with that. Absolutely. Is there any advice that you got as a young playwright or that you wish you got (laughs) as a young playwright that you would pass on to someone who wants to explore that? Uh, Yes. Again, Gobble up everything that you can. Other writers, study them, know who they are, their history that is outside of the, the work on the page that they have, they have given you. But also just, yes, in the same way as a musician who plays the notes like, like Miles, like Coltrane, like, you know, you, you consume, digest, and spit out these various notes that are like, that are like, that are like these other people until you can find your own voice. It comes with, with study. It comes with practice. It comes with experience. Uh, and to, to get as much of that as possible. I hope everybody's listening because that was the whole story, folks. <laughs> On that note, let's go to a new segment on our podcast and take a brief intermission. But don't go anywhere. Hello, dear listeners. While we take our brief intermission, I would like to thank those people who made this podcast possible. Echo Offstage is supported by the Ray Charitable Trust, our one-time Echo donors, and the Echo 100. And we would love to add your name to that list. If you love Echo Offstage and want to support our work, you can do so by sponsoring an episode of the podcast or even an entire season, and I will thank you by name on the show. If you would like to support all of the wonderful programs that Echo produces, the Echo 100 would be the best fit for you. 
The ECHO 100 is a select group of donors who pledge ongoing financial commitment to sustain the mission of ECHO Theater. And you too can join the ECHO 100 for as little as $100 a year. By making your tax-deductible gift recurring, you allow ECHO to plan better for our financial and artistic future. For more information, visit echotheater.org slash support hyphen us to find out how you can help support Echo Theater in our fight for gender parity on stage. Before we dive back into our conversation, don't forget to follow Echo Theater on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can get exclusive sneak peeks at upcoming guests and even a chance to submit your own question, which I might ask our guest at the end of each episode. So you still called Dallas home, and you spent the pandemic here. You, you had shared with us earlier. And I, I saw your lovely trilogy, uh, the play cycle, Trinity River Plays. How much has yeah. Dallas informed your work as uh, an actor and writer? I think, it, it, I think being from Dallas informs who I am. Who I am is having grown up under this big sky that is... Uh, Dallas's sky, so wide open, full of hope, full of promise, full of a lot of things, to have the space to dream. I think the audacity of Dallas's sky has informed who I am as an artist. I think sometimes of the Trinity River plays as uh, there's parts of it that feel like a little bit like a love letter to, to Dallas to me. And it may be because I did grow up here and and there's not a lot of mentioning of places, but when there are, it feels like, oh, I've got that connection. Oh, I've got that connection. Probably it's more the connection with the characters that you wrote who are so fabulous. So you you ended up spending the pandemic in in Dallas. How did how did that work for you? I think I'm a changed human being from who I was a year and a half ago. I was at that moment a year and a half ago, a bit more, in in Chicago, and in my place in Chicago, in this high rise uh, building. A friend of mine calls and says, uh, "I think they're going to shut down the city in a, in the next couple of days." Where do you want to be? <laughs> and I was, I was uh, uh, looking at the news and I was watching. At that point, you had the boats um, that couldn't dock because someone had gotten sick on the boat. So everything was in lockdown on these boats. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen if that happens to my building? There's no, no, no exit, no, no fire escape. How am I going to feel about that? And in the next day, I got a long haul driver to take myself and my cat Coltrane uh, on this ride, uh, this road trip, as fast as we could to Dallas. I needed to get home. I needed to be in this place, this space where I'm from, in my mother's house. My mother has passed away. To be in that house, to be in her yard that still has those same flowers that she planted by hand and stamped to the ground with her feet in the planting, that these flowers that, that continue to survive, to keep coming up each year, along with her irises, which were her favorite, this ground, this sacred ground that is my mother's yard, 
But there I could speak to them. There I felt safe. Being still uh, for a year and a half, someone who gets on a plane pretty much every other month at least to to be still, uh, to listen to the spirits, to uh, be renewed, hoping for what might be in the future. What's going to happen? How long will this be? What's going to happen? What do I need to learn from this walking back through my past, but also imagining the future? Uh, what do I need to do once this is over? What do I want to do uh, once we pass through this? And a lot of times it, it has been, we know it's been a roller coaster with all the deaths, uh, loved ones who have passed, but also the uncertainty, even at the ground that we stand on, the uncertainty of what will return. What do we need to, you know, fight for what might we hold on, what has disappeared and will not ever return. What is normal? What's the expectation? All of that, I got to sit with that, uh, to move in that and get a better sense of self and what I, I need to do, what I want to do. And to get a sense of what comes next, which we don't, often get to slow down enough to think about it. We just put one foot in front of the other and make it happen. I, I have to ask you if if there is the possibility of a play in your road trip with Coltrane from Chicago to Dallas. Absolutely. And I, I think it becomes part of that, that Texas uh, trilogy. The Trinity River Plays was a series of three plays, and I'm adding to that the fourth play. It is a based on the cycle of the cicadas, jargons that come up every 17 years up out of the ground. In the plays, the Trinity River plays, you first see Iris on her 17th birthday. Then in the second, you see her at the age of 30. And we are now, in terms of that cycle, another cicada somewhere. Uh, So I want it to be in this year that we meet her again at the age of 60. Which is a glorious age, if I can just throw that in there. Yes, it is. It, it, it is uh, called Head Above Water. And it's a woman who is 60 years old trying to learn how to swim. Uh, and it, it, we know the lessons of swimming and that beginning, those beginning stages. It's about how you breathe. Even, even as the water may be choppy and rough, we have to figure out how to not flail in these waters. It, it, and when we flail, we, we strike out at others and we hit ourselves as well. But how to give over, give ourselves over, to breathe in a different way, learn to breathe in a different way. We give ourselves over to, to the tides. And uh, that beginning part is learning how to float. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. L- learning how not to yeah. fight the water, how to go with it. You know, not, not to fight it. I I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> it sounds magnificent. You've got a, a project coming up for the Old Vic. Can you talk to us about that? I'm working on a piece for the Old Vic in London uh, about the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Fisk University is one of the first universities uh, in the United States for African-American students. And how they kept the doors open is that they formed uh, this group of singers uh, called the Fisk Jubilee Singers. They sang uh, what was unknown to the wider world. They sang spirituals. 
uh, before spirituals were, were mainly sung within the Black community. They set these songs on stage and they traveled the United States. They uh, sang for the president of the United States. They went over the ocean, went across the globe. They, they sang for the Queen of England. And in doing so, they spread the songs, the spirituals across the world. And in doing that, they helped raise money to set the foundation of one of the first African-American colleges in the United States. I love it that you are sharing that history with the world, because I grew up hearing about the Jubilee Singers, you know, from, from family that were associated with Fisk and Meharry Medical Institute. And it's a glorious history, and it's something that should be known. So in your career, you've also worked with a number of accomplished directors. Can you talk a little bit about that process of working as a playwright with a director? And, as, and I know that you have also directed many of your shows, but how does that work inform the, the larger picture of Regina Taylor? Oh, I, I love uh, working with various directors. I love the back and forth of that. As a writer, you try and, and create a piece, usually in a room by yourself, trying to capture the voices. And then I, I love the collaborative spirit of theater, uh, where you then hand over what you hope is a good spine, a sound heart, a solid mind that is the play. You start collaborating as soon as you turn that over to, to other people, whether that is the director the actors, the designers, and others with that rehearsal period. You are fleshing things out. That spine, that heart, that mind becomes filled in terms of, of your other collaborators. I love actors who come inside the room and, you know, you're asking me if I hear the voices as I'm, I'm writing. And I love it when an actor comes in and say, oh, well, that's, of course, that's who I heard. I love even more Actors, you walk in and you go, oh, that's not what I thought of at all, but that's perfect. I, I love when that happens. By the time an audience comes in uh, and there's this alchemy that happens when everyone's on stage and the audience comes in and they share that breath, uh, they witness and hopefully that little beast spreads its wings on opening and it flies, it soars. You share then uh, the play with the community, with communities, with others witnessing hopefully something that they can recognize, uh, the truth of their existence. You uh, know, that is a gorgeous metaphor <laughs> for, for your play, this, this beast that, you know, you're all working to sort of shape and and, and and maybe tame, but maybe not, because can you really tame anything, truly? <laughs> I love this a great metaphor for, for your plays. I want to ask you one sort of the final question, because I've taken up a ton of your time this evening, and I appreciate it so much. Oh, I appreciate you. I'm enjoying you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a chair, theater chair at Fordham University in 2017, you had an opportunity to really touched some lives in some, some pretty significant ways, I'm sure. What do you think is the most important thing a theater program can do to, to, to provide the kind of foundation that students need to pursue this crazy world that we love so much? Support, 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 to point them in the right direction, to give them some clue, to give them a map 
And they don't necessarily have to follow each step, but to know various ways, different paths, until they can create their own path. How did someone else do that, to study that, the strategies? It's very important to share with them some of your wisdom as they are entering in and beginning their experience that to know that uh, I always embrace my students as family. And I say that I am here for you. I I will, uh, from this moment on, I am here for you. So if you need something, let me know and I'll be reaching out to you as well. Those introductions that they might need, some ways of, of negotiating things that they haven't yet met in their in their present to to be able to do that it's extraordinarily generous to give that kind of time and and devotion to those students and i'm sure that if they don't recognize it right now as the gift that it is they will eventually i'm sure because it's that's huge So I, I asked you about mentors earlier in the show. I'm, I'm going to ask you as our final question, who is a woman in theater who inspires you? Hmm. Uh, I think there are several, several people that inspire me from writers to running theaters to designers to in this current moment. It reminds me of, of Harlem Renaissance or it reminds me of the, the height of the 60s and the whole arts movement, Black arts movement, where you have these people, uh, you, you have these openings, you have of this space that that allows more than one uh, person of color to inhabit these spaces. That's where we are right now. Uh, we're seeing uh, a season that's coming up on Broadway now of uh, the Great White Way. You have so many uh, Black plays that are happening this coming season. It is very exciting, and, and not only with theater, with film, TV. Misha Green did. Lovecraft Country. Uh, she was, uh, that was her baby, along with Jordan. That you had Ava DuVernay. All of these really profound art makers, filmmakers, uh, way makers. We need these images. We need these new stories. We need these new avenues and ways of expression. And that is happening in this moment in time. And it's very exciting to see. We do have an audience question. We always ask our audiences via social uh, media to send in a question. And the one that we selected for you for this evening was this. I saw the digital streaming version of your play, Black Album Mixtape 2020, this Mm -hmm. past year. And I was wondering, what do you think is an artist's social responsibility? And what role do you think activism should play in art? I, I can't dictate for other you know, artists uh, what their role might be. People are moved in, in various ways, both personal, political, various ways in terms of how they want to explore that. I, I know for myself, I, I grew up in terms of activism and giving back. And so with everything that I do, no matter what that is with writing, directing, acting, there is that, there is that element or try and find or create that element of giving back, of giving back. 
practice as, as I received uh, so much along the way, uh, even before my own consciousness. I think we need these images for others to hold on to that shines a light, reflects back on them. Uh, because a lot of times uh, growing up, whatever circumstance, you don't see that, you don't have that in your immediate view. So I think uh, it's very powerful uh, in terms of the stories that we tell and uh, how that impacts a young life, how that impacts any life as, as we're journeying through this life. Gina Taylor, thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, your insights, and passing some wonderful time with us this evening on Echo Offstage. Before I let you go, I want to ask you where listeners can learn more about Regina Taylor and the things that you have coming up. Yes, you can catch up with me, Facebook, Regina Taylor, the Regina Taylor, Instagram on reginataylor.com, and certainly please check out the Black Album Mixtape.com. All righty, fantastic. Oh, let's tell them a little bit more about the Black Album Mixtape because that is a big deal. Yes, the Black Album Mixtape is an initiative that I created in partnership with Southern Methodist University over this past year. It started out as a conversation with the university about how we continue to teach, how we continue to create during this time of COVID for uh, the students at SMU, African-American students that was to be uh, shown online. And we created it online and presented that at the end of 2020. Uh, that then uh, blossomed into this online initiative, the Black Album Mixtape, that invited other students, faculty, friends, community, both students and professionals, according to their own disciplines, whether they were writers, whether they were doctors, whether they were practitioners, uh, whether that was visual arts, music, whether that was a doctor interviewing COVID patients, whether that was a lawyer who wanted to write research, share their thoughts on Voting Rights Act, how we circle back around to that here and now for people to think about how we got here from this past year and a half, how we got here and where we might be headed to create that space for people to have these conversations, to share to connect, to grow from here is, is the Black Album Mixtape. It sounds like we could all stand to spend a little bit of time with the Black Album Mixtape. Thank you so much, Regina Taylor, for being our guest tonight on Echo Theater Offstage. And thank you. Thank you so much for this uh, really very special conversation. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. I'm over the moon about this. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Echo Offstage Theater Women Speak. Be sure to follow Echo Theater Dallas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that you can submit your own questions for our guests and other exciting news and updates on upcoming podcasts, readings, and productions. You've been listening to Echo Offstage Theater Women Speak. We're a production of Echo Theater in Dallas, Texas, a nonprofit theater dedicated to solely producing works by women. I'm your host, Katherine Whiteman. Our producer and podcast manager is Eric Berg. Our audio engineer and editor is Jonathan Villalobos. 
Our theme music is by Lynn Barnett, executive produced by Kateri Kale, managing artistic director at Echo Theater. Find out more about Echo and our mission at echotheater.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Echo Theater Dallas. Find these links and more info about today's guest in the show notes. Going dark. Thank you, dark. Thank you, dark. Oh, oh, uh, we may have to skip all of that part because okay. uh, that's, that's not a solid at this point. Oh, okay. All righty.